Christmas stories of Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be your Chickasaw native, your Chickasaw Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And what a treat we have today. He is a two-time WWE Tag Team Champion, holding the WWE Championship and the World Tag Team version of that with Tyson Kidd. Three-time IWGP Tag Team Champion, three-time NWA Champion, FCW Champion. He's also the Stu Hart Memorial Champion. He's also won many grappling events in addition to all of his professional wrestling titles trained by the great billy robinson the billy robinson tournament winner as well and also the west coast vegas grappling champion as well he is mr harry smith and i got the honor and the huge pleasure of tag teaming with his wonderful dad who i love dearly the legendary davy boy smith mr harry smith harry welcome to the show hey thanks a lot for having me john and thank you for that uh Nice encomium. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I like I love your history. I, I never knew all the stuff about Billy Robinson until about six months ago. Somebody's on our show and said, you know, Harry was really close with Billy Robinson. And I'd heard a little bit about it, but I didn't know the depth that you had Billy Robinson. That is so cool to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, Billy was uh he was special. <laughs> you know, he was yeah. <laughs> yeah. on and off the mats. He really was uh a great guy. I considered him um, one of my dear, dear closest friends, one of my mentors, almost like um, an uncle or a father figure. And I got to meet Billy the first time in Japan in 2005 when I was um, working there for New Japan Pro Wrestling and Tokyo Joe, who, um, you know, John is familiar with. He was my coach, but Joe would always... Um, talk about this amazing match that Antonio Inoki had with Billy Robinson back in 76. And he, he got the videotape and I, I got turned on to Billy um, from that. And I heard the stories about him and uh, you know, what a remarkable um, you know, athlete and submission grappler he was. And the, the first time I'd met him, I just unfortunately broke my hand um, two nights before. And I knew I was going home in a couple of days to get it healed. So he was able to, to show me a little bit and I didn't give up from from that but it was um you know when he was able to come over to the U.S. uh to do a seminar and to renew I think it's renewing his green card for for Japan uh, I got to meet him there and train with him and then he ended up living in Japan full-time um his son Spencer was taking care of him in Little Rock Arkansas towards the end Billy's you know his, his health was was pretty bad so he wasn't able to um i think hustle and grind as much as the japanese guys wanted him to to, to teach the young boys and he's, you know the poor guy's 70 years old and two replaced hips and replaced knees and everything but i got to uh you know bond with him and learn a lot of um a lot of great stuff from the guy and he was a <clears throat> super guy he was really funny except when he would uh when he get into his moods sometimes <laughs> yeah just don't poke the bear. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Billy, how, how did Billy end up in Arkansas? Uh, well, yeah. So his his son, Spencer, I, I don't know if you would have been familiar. I, I know your brother worked with uh, Billy. So Billy had, um, he had a son named Spencer, but it was during his, when he was staying in the States, when he was working for Vern Gagne with the AWA. So Spencer was born in um, Minneapolis and then he, Billy wanted to, uh, I think he really, really wanted 
Spencer to be schooled really well, like, like educationally wise. And uh, he didn't keep him away from wrestling, but he, he sent him to one of those like high end, like military schools. So Spencer from that, he got into, um, I think he's like, uh, he might, he's like a near four-star general. Like he's really high up. Yeah. So he got stationed in little, little rock, Arkansas. And then, um, from that, I would go down and, um, spend a few days or spend a week with Billy and and train with him. And we usually find a few guys to, for me to wrestle with and practice. And, you know, it's funny, Billy was, uh, a great guy and everything but he was he was really private like i actually still to this day i had never met spencer and he lived in little rock arkansas too wow, wow. and billy was really he was really quiet about his wife uh Ula, i think it was and she had divorced him and um apparently you know didn't go very good so we i just never brought that up you know yeah. stuff from- I, I i was i was privileged to be around billy quite a lot billy came down to florida and georgia when i when i was there and and here, here in Florida, we we became pretty good friends. We had I had buddies that got fishing both, of course, and I had, Billy loved to fish. And uh, one of yeah. my favorite favorite stories about Billy is I I did I pulled a real dumbass myself on, on Billy Robinson. You know I know Billy's background. I knew who Billy was there. So I invited him out fishing one day. It was one of those hot hot afternoons. We're out in the Gulf of Mexico fishing, and the anchor gets hooked up. We, we, my buddy has his boat, has his transom on the back of it. And he, Billy, you step out there and, and, and yank the anchor a little bit, see if you can unhook it from, from the, the coral or whatever it's stuck on. So Billy gets on that transom. He's leaning over that thing. And I'm sitting there, Jack, Jack, and I, I, I kind of pat him kicking Billy in the ass. Jack said, You don't have a hair on your ass unless you do it. So I'm thinking, man. Am I going to disappoint my brother or am I going to get, risk getting killed by Billy Robinson? <laughs> I, I put my foot up there and I kicked Billy's big ass down. He had some big hips too, so you couldn't miss. Oh, yeah. I, I kicked his ass. He went in that water and man, he come bobbing up there and I could see the, the, the killer instinct coming out of his, his eyes. Yeah, and he, yeah. get me out of here, get me out of here. Cause we've been talking all day about sharks and all that stuff in the water out there. And so Billy, watch out, I see Billy petrified. So I said, and I, I said, all right, Billy, I'll let you back on the boat. I'll help you back on the boat if you promise you, you won't kill me. <laughs> and, he, yeah. and he said, I can't do that. And so I'm, okay. So we just kind of, kind of started circling around where Billy's bobbing and bobbing and weaving out there in that damn bar. So finally he said, all right, I won't kill you today. I said, that's good enough. You know, so I reached out yeah. and I helped Billy out of the water. Man, I've never seen anybody so damn mad, but I think back, what a dumbass you were, man. Kick Billy Robinson in the ass in the Gulf of Mexico. And but man, I I ribbed him about that forever. Yeah. I said, I'm the only one to ever kick you in the ass you didn't kill. He said, You got that right, man. But what a guy in, but you're right, man. What a private guy. He was down here for a month and we traveled together every night. You know, him and Jack, of course, had a bond from Australia. They were in Australia together for like three months. And but Billy, Billy became a great buddy. He never mentioned anything. He he did mention his son was in the military. That's about the only thing we could ever get out of when they start, start talking about family. We knew about his divorce and everything. But what a wonderful guy. And, and man, what a guy with a reputation. Did you, did, yeah. while you were your travels and everything, did you ever go to Wigan and where, where, where all those guys train and everything? 
Well, I, you know what I, I did, but the, the, the old Wigan snake pit, uh, it's been, it's been torn down. So the, the guy that's running it now, his name is Roy Wood and he's, he's kind of taken it over, but he was an original Billy, um, you know, uh, Billy Riley who, who trained yeah, everybody. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Roy, Royce, he's more on the aspect of pinning a guy. His, his is more for, um, I think he works more with the like high school wrestlers and right. students. So where Billy, you know, Robinson and Carl Gotch was more of a, like a shooting hooking. So the, the, the hooking part of it's kind of died out over there, right? Yeah, that, that kind of died out. So, but Billy told me some stories and I mean, um, from training over there, like it just, those guys were just, they were on another level, you know, yeah. the, the old, old Wigan guys, like. What, what, what do you think that was? Was it, was it, was it the mining background of that Wigan or the mining, mining community? Am I right on that one? Or, yeah. yeah. So what Billy said was that a lot of these guys were, um, you know, they would, I mean, they would work, oh geez, long, hard hours in the, in the coal mines and everything. And they're, they're fun. Um, was to go to the gym and beat the shit out of each other after, you know, <laughs> and then uh, go home and, you know, and he just, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, kind of like what I was saying was how you do one thing is how you do everything. You know, back in those days, there was no distractions. There wasn't social media. There wasn't uh, like these guys were all from all coal miners and these workers, but there was, there was nothing else to do except for to wrestle like on their free time. And they, when they would eat, if they would have a, Billy would say like a fried egg and uh, maybe a little bit of bacon, if they were lucky, was fish and chips. And, um, you know, they, they would go into, and, and the mats were, were really, uh, from what he described, was kind of like cement with hay and then like a canvas on top and some sort of like a carpet, like, a, like the carpet um, pad as, as the mat. And he said that they got so good because you didn't really, you really did not want to be slammed on that. So you got really good at, at your defense and, and everything. Because, you know, you take one of those, you land that, even good on one of those on the mat there, it's, you're going to be hurt. So, and, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, I wish I could have met like Billy Joyce. I don't know if you. I've heard of him. He referred to him as like the, the creme de la creme of, of wrestling. Right. And just one of those guys that Billy said was, um, he, you would just see him on the street and he looked like an, like an average bloke, as the English yeah. referred to. Just very skinny, very long arms. Um, he had the, like the cauliflower ears a bit, but Billy said that he could, uh, he could put place a dime, like, the, like the, the coin, on his toe and he would bend over without bending his legs and pick it up with his teeth. Wow. And he was double and uh but just from all that coal mining work and and grabbing their their uh, grip strength was just phenomenal so he said that uh billy joyce you know he would he would just move as much as you would move like he had everything down to a science basically like i grab your wrist and then you'd move it back and he would just do it follow that speed and you would think that you have him beat with something because he's double jointed and right when you're going to crank, he would just reverse it on you. Like Billy just said, and he said he was just a very nice man, very quiet. And, uh, 
but just nobody could beat him. He said that oh, he was interesting. So Billy yeah. Joyce was the guy. Billy Joyce was the one guy that that Billy Robinson looked up to as the, the big shooter. Yeah, and actually, um, Carl Gotch uh, supposedly uh, apparently did too like behind closed doors, and Billy. Billy Wait, was, was Carl and Billy around the same time there? Yeah. So Carl was a bit older than Billy, but uh, Billy Robinson, he just said that Carl Gotch had the, uh, he, he didn't really want to give compliments to people publicly, I guess, but he said that behind closed doors, he would always, he touted Billy Joyce as being the the best of the best. He said, he's, he just said he was, uh, he was that good. So, you know, and I never got to meet Carl, unfortunately, but um you know heard tons of stories from billy robinson and and everything too but he he even said that carl referred to billy joyce as being the like the man you know so and do, do you know uh uh what a jody malenko jody simon very well oh yeah i know him you know jody jody was one of carl's main pupils here in florida he, he studied oh yeah him. carl just lived less than a mile from where i live here in here in, here in and uh, Kiso area, and I, yeah, I, was... uh, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I drove, um, I drove by the place a couple times just to see it because yeah. I saw it in the Japanese. He's in uh, like Odessa, is it near Wayne? Uh, yeah, yeah, Odessa, White on one road, road, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, I got to you know go and see that area and everything like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, Jody's a great guy. He yeah. he, he told stories about Carl and. Oh, yeah. I don't know what a character. Yeah, I, I was like I said, I've lived out here for for years and years and years, and I I, I befriended uh, one of Carl's next door neighbors, and I, I was at at a at a community uh, meeting one one night, and he said, "Can I ask you to call Gotcha?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I know Carl. I don't know him real well, but I I know him pretty good." Yeah. He said, "Can you tell me anything about him?" I said, "What what?" He said. Why do you have all those Japanese kids there? And he said, every night around five, six o'clock for about two and a half hours, they scream. Some of the strangest noises come out of that garage I've ever heard. He said, is he torturing those kids or what's he doing there? And so I had to explain to him. I said, he's teaching them wrestling. Uh, teaching them wrestling. He said, like like you guys do down there at the high school? I said, no, completely so. <laughs> it's, a, it's a shoot yeah. style where it's a submission style. He said, man, I wondered, he said, because I hear those kids over there, and sometimes my wife said, you think we should call the cops or anything like that? Yeah. He, he said several times cops have stopped over there to find out, you know, what's going on over there. He said, but I've always wondered, he said, because Carl, he's a very standoff man. He, he'll say hello to you, very pleasant. He'll say hi to you and all that stuff. But you can, you can never have a conversation with Carl. But that was Carl, you know, to everybody. You couldn't really have a conversation with Carl because he was, Kind of like no, off guy, you know. But, but yeah, yeah he, that's what, that's what his, I, his neighbors were just terrified of him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that that is that's too funny. Uh, yeah, you know, like Billy, um, he taught uh, Kazushi Sakuraba, who uh, he beat four of the Gracies, the Gracie and, Hunter. Yeah, the Gracie Hunter. So he, um, Billy's. Uh, his knowledge of submission wrestling was just was unbelievable. But you know, do you, you think that was Billy's main asset was his, his knowledge of submissions and what made Billy so dangerous, or, or what do we think the, his reputation grew from? 
Uh, you know what? Honestly, I, I, I think that, I think there's a couple different things. Um, I think that for one thing, and I, and I, and I'm not trying to, uh, I'm, I mean, no disrespect by any of this to, towards Carl Gotch or anything, but I think that Billy was better at articulating the techniques that he knew than maybe Carl was like, as far as like, you know, Billy being able to teach the Japanese guys. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Carl taught, you know, Inoki and, but Carl was also, he would teach you as much as he was going to want to. There was probably techniques and stuff. He knew that he was not going to teach the Japanese guys. Cause he just didn't feel that they were worthy of it. Like that's what, so I think that Car that Billy had more of an imagination as far as um, making a match more exciting too. Like his, like a lot of the matches he had with Bockwinkle and, and uh, Jumbo Saruta, um, where, you know, he had more, uh, maybe more color or more, it was more interesting. Like a lot of the British, like the, some of the fan, he could make things more fancy. So I just think that Billy was more open to showing the techniques than maybe Carl was, yeah. but I, Billy's was, um, he seemed to, uh, he seemed to understand all aspects of fighting on a different level than, than I've known most people. Uh, and that, you know, the, even goes to his, to the boxing, but you know, the, the, the Kimura wrist lock that's known nowadays in, in grappling is from, Masahiko Kimura that broke Helio Gracie's arm in Japan with that. And Kimura in Japanese, Kimura means Valley of the Trees. Ki is in Japanese is trees. Um, so Kimura learned, and that was named after his name, but he learned the Kimura, that double wrist lock. It was, he learned that in Wigan. So it's not, it was uh, in, in old judo, it's called Ude Garami which is Uday's arm and Garami's like a forceful submission or way. Um, so he learned the, the Wigan way, which is actually not grabbing with the thumbless grip. It's grabbing the hand. So you have more control of the guy and a, a different angle. And with the knee on the head to, to get the submission. So, and Billy told me, he said Kimura was good, but he said that he, he came to Wigan and left, humble is what he said and he said he just wow. he said he got, he got beat too he said he didn't get beat by anybody that great there either he just but he said you know he went back to japan and then beat helio gracie with and then that's where the name the kimura wristlock came from yeah and since you were so close to billy i gotta ask you this question you know uh, there's a story when jack my brother jack was a rookie jack went to australia billy was there and of course <laughs> you know uh, you got a United States shooter and a, and a European shooter. So the boys oh. being the boys, you know, they, they were ribbing each other all nightly. You know. And Jack said they got it got to the point where they couldn't even walk in a dressing room without the guy jumping on the wall. Who's, who's the toughest? Who's the toughest? So, so one night they're drinking an Australian beer and the bars are closing down and they're both feeling pretty damn spry. And so uh, Jack says, Billy, I've been hearing all this stuff to you. Let's go up to my room and let's find out. You ever hear that story about Jack and uh, Billy? I did Billy ever share the story with you? What I'm asking. He, he, he kind of did, and uh, oh man, he 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 told me a little bit about it. But he he said they were friends after. 
after. Oh, they they, they they were they were friends then, and they were friends <laughs> afterwards too. But it was Jack Jack's side of the story, which I tend to believe because he's my brother. They went up there. They were both you know three sheets of the wind or whatever, and they started. They moved all the furniture out of the way. And the guys wanted to come in. Of course, they put all the couches up against the doors, and the guys were even trying to knock the doors down. So they went at it. They said they wrestled all night long. And, oh yeah. And 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 I of course said, well, you know, how'd you do, Jack? You know, he said, well, I did pretty good. He said, but after the night, the sun was coming up. We both blowed up. We blew up two or three times. We'd roll over, grab some more booze, and start drinking. Then we'd would start wrestling again. He said, but at the end of the night, he said, I had a bruise on my eye right here, and Billy had a broken thumb. He said the next morning, Jim Jim Barnett called him into his office at 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 at, at, at Melbourne, Australia, at the at the Presidential Hotel there in Melbourne. Jim, of course, Barnett had to sweep, and they went up there. And he said both of them thought they were getting sent home that day. You know, when they yeah. said, okay, guys, I hope you settle this thing, and I hope you found out what you wanted to find out. But if you ever do that again, both of you, my my main guys, if you ever do it again, you're both going home immediately. And they shook hands, and they were best friends ever. But that, that was a result. Jack had a bruise on his eye, and Billy had a broken thumb. But I always oh, yeah. wondered, you know, I never could could get it get any more. And I, I even questioned Billy about it on a couple of car rides, and it was basically the same story. So I don't think anything drastic happened where either one of them submitted or anything. But I always found that a fascinating story. Oh yeah, no, he was. Uh, yeah, he was. He was fun, man. I he. Oh, he just, he, he must have had a liver like a brick. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. But he was a fun guy. He was a fun guy to be around. Really personable guy. I mean, I love Billy. I mean, we, 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 like I said, we went up down the road many, many times here in Florida. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he was always friendly with, even with strangers too. Like, you know, at, at the restaurants or wherever. Like, I, but like I said, when he would get into his, the mood, I would refer to it as. <laughs> He would he could be uh he could be pretty cranky but he was um he had a funny uh sarcastic dry sense yeah of very much so yeah how, um, how old how old do you when when you when you were in japan you had the bad hand when you first started working out how old were you then uh i was he was in his 60s then and then uh when he came over here it was 2009 or so when, when he finally relocated so he was already into his near 70s and then um, I think I was the last guy he talked to uh, through email. And actually, it was funny enough. I was I was in uh, I was in England visiting my grandfather because I, I had some shows over there. And I vis was visiting my grandfather, and I I went to Roy's gym, and a couple of the guys, one of the guys, got mad because I threw a submission on him, and he said, "No, no, it's just pins." I said, "Okay," and. Then I told Billy, you know, how the training went and Roy says hi and and he didn't respond. And then, um, you know, I went to the, uh, there's a restaurant right near there that, that has Wi-Fi. My grandfather's that old, or he was that old. He didn't didn't have Wi-Fi or anything. So, and then I got the news, he passed away. I went, oh Jesus, like, that was a, a real shock. But, um, but yeah. What, got, what, what, what did Billy pass up? Do you recall? What, what, what he just went, and passed in his sleep but he was you know he was uh yeah he was a tough old guy but you know there was one there was one kid that was training with us named uh zach and this kid was it was almost kind of like 
uh, a little bit of comic relief for Billy at times. This kid was, he was a little bit, uh, he was a bit weird and re really super flexible. And, and Billy's going, oh, you know, Zach, you're really flexible and supple. You know, you could be a good wrestler. You're just an idiot. <laughs> like he would just tell him like, oh, Zach would say, okay. And then, uh, uh, he, but this Zach kid, he would, he would do a bunch of goofy stuff, like just, just childish stuff. And I, and I heard from Billy's training, he entered some of these like local tournaments and uh, he won, he placed first place at one of them. And uh, I was working in WWE at the time. And I said, Hey, Billy, you know, how's it going? And I said, yeah, I heard that, you know, Zach, um, he's been winning at some of these local tournaments from his training with you. And Billy didn't even give him like the, the benefit or anything. He just goes, yes, well, kid, uh, these kids just must be fucking horrible then. <laughs> Where they put him over, man. I said, oh, that's great. Oh, well, I, I said, I said, looks like the training's going good. He goes, yeah, he's just uh, still an idiot, but uh, he's, pick, he's picking up a few things, but he'll never be good enough to be a danger. He's just <laughs> not. <laughs> I love that. They'd never be good enough to be a danger. I love that. <laughs> That's great. This hey, thing would be like, he'd be like, well, you know, if, if I could get my hands on so-and-so, I could make him pretty dangerous, you know. He's got skills. He needs to work on being more supple. But like the way he would, <laughs> yeah. he could be a danger. Yeah. Yeah. Dur during your time down there, was Steve Nelson training with you guys or did Steve ever join that group or what? No, he wasn't. Um, no, he wasn't. You know, actually, who trained with Billy also, but it was in the 1990s, was Nunzio, the little Guido. Yeah, yeah we had Guido on. He talked about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah down in uh, Tennessee, Memphis. Yeah. yeah. So they, they had that going on and um, Gary Albright trained with them a bit. And Billy... Billy told me about him, but I mean, Billy was, um, yeah, he was, he was, he, he didn't back down from anybody. Like he told me, you know, a story that they were, it was him, Danny Hodge and uh, Gary Albright. And they were flying back from a UWFI show in Japan to back to the States. And he said that Gary got uh, all belligerent with him out of nowhere. And Billy said, you know, I don't think you could beat my Japanese boy Tamura. And Gary said, oh, you know, Billy, you know, and Billy said, I stood up to fight him. And he said, Danny got between us. And he said, the cops started coming and they, they separated them. And then uh, Tamura and Gary actually had a shoot, like a, like a real one the next, because Gary said he, he didn't want to put him over. And Tamura beat him. Like, but exactly what Billy said, just, he just said, he said, Gary's going to be really tough and dangerous for about five minutes. And uh, he doesn't have enough submission skills to submit you. Use your striking, your kicks. And they had rope escapes. And he said, you know, if it's an amateur wrestling match, he pins you, you're dead, all that. But he said, if he's thinking that he's, you know, going to beat you in a shoot, like a submit you or, or knock you out, he said it's not going to be possible. He just said Gary didn't have the resources to do that. And then he said Gary got, you know, humbled after that and trained more with him and they became good friends, but he said that they were they were like this close to fighting at the Narita Airport. And he said, "No, Danny got between us." And 
I would, yeah, I, would, so, I would have hated to have been Hodge and get separated. No kidding. Between those two <laughs> no, guys. No matter, no matter how tough Hodge is, you got two beasts there that will go. <laughs> they yeah. both outweighed Hodge by 100 pounds, too, probably. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Was you ever around Danny or anything for a while? Anytime? I, you know what? I met him when, um, when WWE came to Oklahoma. Right. He came backstage and, uh, Super nice guy, really strong handshake. Like he was the real deal too. Oh yeah, and, and uh, that, that particular uh, incident, that particular incident you're talking about, Danny nearly killed JBL that day. He, he did. He got me. Danny got me good. <laughs> I I had gone I had gone to the uh, state lit, state sign, and it was back before cell phones. So I had Barry Wendell take a Polaroid of me, <laughs> of me using the bathroom on the state sign. Then I went to Mr. Briscoe's hometown and did the same thing. A picture of me pissing on the side and I put it up in catering. I was so proud of myself. I was like, I can't wait for Mr. Briscoe to see this in walk Danny Hodge and Jack Briscoe. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God. And I look and there's no exit that I can get to. And yeah. It didn't end well for me. It ended really badly for me. <laughs> I literally could not work out for about three months. He messed up my elbow so bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, they were two fingers. That's right. And I was sitting there thinking, that's kind of cool. I just got stretched by Danny Hodge. Then I thought, I can't feel my hand. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's funny. Was there any difference between, you know, you, you, you had some great shooters that trained you and worked with you both in pro wrestling and a submission, you know, and, and close, uh, including your grandfather, Stu Hart. Was there yeah. much difference between, or what was the difference if there is a noticeable difference between Billy Robinson and the others, as far as the uh, training, the mindset, things like that? Uh, you know, it, it's all, um, Billy had it. He had it. He was either more, how should I say this? Sadistic. Through 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 the through the years through the years of of um of of uh the way that mixed martial arts has evolved basically, Billy had he seemed to have a very more profound understanding of how to beat the Gracie Jiu Jitsu system, and Billy from his years of uh, you know working with you know the Snake Pit. And he also did the Cornish wrestling too, where they where uh, they have a gi and a jacket. So he was really good with understanding where the danger is with people grabbing a hold of your gi, or um, some of those old guys. They wouldn't. I'm not saying that they're they're you know they're old in a past time or anything. They just might not under have the knowledge or understanding of what they would do if they got stuck in somebody's guard, which is just, which is basically the scissors position in old wrestling. They would call a scissors, uh, around, body scissors around the guy. Now, Billy actually, he showed me, because I, I I asked him about the guard, and he goes, uh, the guard shit. Uh, hey, kid, let me show you something. So I got down on my back, and he showed me uh, so basically, let's just say, I put the guard on you here. If he turned his right leg here sideways and stuck it to your 
floater floater rib here. Like if like if I'm on my back, he stuck that right at your floater rib, and then cross on top. It had to be this one here, the other leg on top here, where he would bring it back to crunch it to make it super tight. But this this leg, the left one, would be higher. Then after it would get crunched, it would it would squeeze your floater rib here. And then what he would do is he would straighten his legs really hard. And it felt like, um, oh man, it felt like a python like squeezing you. And he said that, uh, I think he said that somebody, he did it to somebody and he popped his floater rib doing that just from the guard. So what I'm trying to say is when they're teaching the Ju Gracie Jiu Jitsu guard, they just say, okay, cross your legs cross your legs okay uh whenever somebody puts their hands on the ground for defense which you're not supposed to do that's where a lot of times where the submission comes from so the guy puts the hand on the ground they grab a hold of that and they're able to use that as leverage to pull themselves up so then they can work something or they get a hold of your wrists they control it one in one out for a, a triangle um but i had never seen that and uh, if i put the guard on somebody it's they say that it's never felt like that kind of strength before or, or been in that where they're not just, okay, I'm in the guy's guard. He's just squeezing his legs. The way that he knew how to manipulate that to make it uh, where you're not thinking in an offensive frame of mind, you're thinking defensively right away because you're going, oh man, I, I can't, you're, your breathing has been compromised from this. And it's the same kind of principle as he said that when you're in the guard like that, you don't want to give the guy a free time. And it's like when these wrestlers that were really good with riding you, you know, these Turkish rides and the top ride, oh man, it would, it would exhaust you just to get out of those things. So he said, you know, if you're going to do the guard position, you know, do it this way. And it, a lot of these other guys might have, Carl might've known that, but he, he maybe just didn't share it because he didn't, um, he didn't feel people were worthy or he just couldn't be, bother but billy seemed more open to um to sharing those techniques and he showed me uh there's a triangle choke escape that i know from him he asked me not to show anybody but um if you the guy if you get put in it you can basically you can i could get out of it, pretty much anybody's triangle choke but if they if they're holding on to their shin with their their hand so a lot of times people grab a hold of the head and they arch up but if they keep a hold of the shin with their hand it can be that can be a, a trouble that's they would know what counter i'm doing but i can alleviate the pressure to give me time enough to to escape and it all is just like i was saying with the pyramid earlier it all has to do with mechanics and um you know posture but he that was the uh, yeah sorry and, and that was the key to sakuraba who in the you know the nickname the moniker the gracie hunter was was billy robinson yeah yeah ex exactly and you know and billy he showed me um there's a lot of like uh submissions like there's one called the umo plata and jiu-jitsu which is in the guard and uh he would basically he'd he there was a lot of submissions that he respected and there was some like that that he just said were he said no it's easy he said well everybody's going to grab a hold of the guy's waist because they're going to try to get the pressure on the short because the shoulder lock he said, all you do is just somersault forward. He said, if he grabs a hold of your leg, 
you got a 50-50 chance, then you're in, in trouble. But a lot of people don't know, you know, that. Uh, and the Uma plot is, I remember like Daniel Bryan's, like, uh, not like the cross face, but you put the leg over and you have it arched and you go like that. So he would grab a hold of the head, but the guys would grab a hold of the waist. But all the guy needs to do is just roll over. But a lot of times they get flat and they feel the pressure and they just, they, they, they tap. But Billy seemed to have um, a really scientific approach to, uh, to that. He was very big on balance. He'd say, oh, you know, this guy's good, but he's, his weakness is he's got, he's got lousy balance. He's going to get beat. But then sure enough, you'd watch and, oh, shoot, somebody's undefeated streak gets, you know, beat by, um, and then he would say, well, you know, he's, he's off balance or his, his footing's off. And, um, you know, if somebody's coming after you with punches in boxing. He said that you always want to uh, turn the corner or switch an angle said anytime you're getting punched and you keep walking back straight you're just going to keep getting punched so you have to even if you're rocked you got to try to switch the angle out and he said he told this to um one of the fighters in arkansas said you're making a mistake you're going to get knocked out and then the next fight he had he did and he said yeah you know the brick wouldn't even look at me when i saw him at the gym (laughs) (laughs) i told him you know, but uh, he, he was, yeah, he was, he had a, he, he was able to either be that smart to know how things work and be able to place them or just these guys from the old Wigan time were that, um, that advanced that they just, he just knew. And he just said it was all based on just knowledge, you know. I, I think, I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, Billy was, Billy, Billy was a very intelligent guy, but he had that knowledge. <laughs> Of Wigan too, so I think it was a little bit of uh, no, no, both ways. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you know he was, um, and his, his pro- professional wrestling was uh, was great too. I mean, those matches he had Bachwinkle, I loved, you know, from yeah. AW and uh, Jumbo Saruta and the one with Inoki, yeah. and yeah, did some of the the old stories of how things were back in those days. So just yeah. you know, told me the stories about. Um, Oh, well, that match and the, you know, the Inoki Ali match that they had. And what, what, what story did he tell you about that? Oh, it was, it was just, it was basically that, um, I think it was Inoki's family and, uh, the Japanese mafia had um, over a million dollars in escrow for the event. And, uh, Ali and, um, his crew, when they came to Japan, they were under the impression that this was going to be an exhibition match. And they were scared that, you know, Inoki was going to uh, double cross them. And they, they basically said, Hey, listen, if there's any funny or, or, or if the way that they had it written out, like in the contract, then there was a gun involved. Like they pulled it out and um, they said, basically, you know, we're going to, cause the mafia was involved doing Inoki and, um, I don't know if you were ever familiar with Mr. Shima. He was the original New Japan um, chairman yeah, with Inoki. Right. Well, Inoki. Over him, yeah, and I think it was Kotetsu Yamamoto. They were the three original members of New Japan. Um, and Mr. Shima, actually, he, him and Carl Gotch had some sort of uh, issue because Inoki was brought over Carl to teach the Japanese boys. And at some point, because Mr. Shima was the businessman, 
So at some point he saw that Inoki had learned all as much as knowledge as he probably was going to learn from Carl and Fujinami and Fujiwara and some of these other guys that Carl taught, where he basically he had promised Carl, I think it was a percentage of the business forever because he was an original New Japan guy. And Mr. Shima said basically to Inoki one day, like, hey, we don't need Mr. Gotch anymore. You know, we we have his information and so Carl, when he went back to Florida, he always hated Anoki and, and spited him for that. So Shima was involved with the um, the money process and everything with with what happened with Anoki and Ali. And basically, he said that if Anoki was able to to take you know to to do what he could do, he said it wouldn't have lasted under the two minutes. He said him, Carl, uh, any of those guys. He said Danny Hodge too. You know, you uh, Ali with especially with Ali with the boxing gloves on, he got no grip. He's got he'd have absolutely no idea what to do on the ground. It'd be it would be over quickly, you know. But uh, for a lot of reasons, it was very historical and um, <laughs> was the very first ever mixed martial arts match right. over in Japan. So it was interesting, but uh, you know, he he told me that, and then. Um, yeah, you know, the, the match with Inoki, like, you know, back in those days, like, the he just knew Inoki, and they knew they were doing a time limit draw, and they just went out there and did it. Wow. Yeah, hey, it was, hey, it hey, was, hey, a, it was a stiff draw. I watched the match yeah. a, a couple months ago. It was it, it was stiff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people talk about Inoki being on the ground the whole time kicking him. I mean, Inoki was wearing him out with those kicks. And yeah. you, you, ever, you ever see photos of, 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 of uh, Ali's sheds? Oh yeah, he he. Oh, he uh, yeah. I heard he had a blood clot after that. Yeah, he had a blood clot. He had a couple of blood clots. He had to have removed from him. He had, he was hospitalized after his fight. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, um, absolutely. Hey, hey Jerry, was your brother or, or was your brother and you on the the U.S. My brother, my brother was. It was in uh, Shea Stadium. And your brother was on the card that was part of the Noki. Part of the pay per view, yeah. Yeah. yeah, who'd your brother work with? Uh, worked with uh, who the hell did he work with? Uh, I don't recall. But they had your brother there. They had and they that yeah. was they had a pretty loaded card for Shay. Yeah, they had a very loaded card. Guys from all over the country. One, you know, Vince Vince Senior was was you know respect to NWA guy. So he brought guys and top guys because they wanted they wanted a draw. You know, they wanted to to sell the places out. So they brought top talent in from all over all over the country there. And then they simulcast or they showed the the yeah. Anuki, uh yeah Jack Jack was part of part of the actual pay per view that a lot of the matches didn't get showed on the on the actual pay per view but Jack's match was it so, hey that Harry was night, you, that was the night with Andre and Webber uh, uh, Andre and Chuck Webber yeah, the same yeah, night right yeah exactly yeah. I, I I read I actually because I read the uh, the book about it and they talked about. About that being, it was like because back in those days, that was like the very first syndicated like pay per view kind. It of thing, was, right? yeah, it was the first big one now, first big one out there, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Hey, Harry, you had such success with the grappling. Did you ever think about just doing that full time, going into UFC, going into mixed martial arts, and doing more of it? Uh yeah, you know, uh, both from a you know career aspect wise, but also you know um, something that you know grappling and mixed martial arts gave me that uh you know it's it's like what my old coach clive llewellyn here in calgary he was he was actually the head of the olympic committee 
he told me one day, he said, kid, what you really want, everybody wants medals and trophies. He said, what you really want is excellence. He said, you have excellence here on the mat, and that's going to spread on to your other aspects of life. And sometimes being on the mat for some people really keeps them focused and everything. So, um, you know, I just, whenever something came up, I always had bad luck with um, just, it just was the luck of the draw. You know, it was a few years back, like uh, I was going to do it and I ended up having an issue with my tonsils and I had to get my tonsils removed. And then I was training with uh, Jack Swagger down in Florida at one point and we were, I was talking to Bellator about doing something and we're training in those, the, you know, 90 degree weather in, in Florida. I shot a double leg in and I sprawled and it went to stand up and my foot slipped and I got a third degree high ankle sprain, which is actually, he's never been the same before. So I, it's just, it's, it's unfortunately been, yeah. I'm going to just say maybe it's, but, um, I've been able to, you know, compete in, in grappling competitions, which has always been a really huge, uh, uh, learning and, and growing experience for me. Cause it's like what you do when you're training, when it comes to real time, it all of a sudden goes to what you really know, you know? So even just getting that experience has been a really great thing for me. And, you know, one of the things that I really love about doing it is um, I, I really like to teach it, you know? So I, I think that at some point I could be a good um, communicator or, you know, uh, conductor of, um two other people for it and i've i've always still wanted to um to do you know something more in in japan and actually you know a couple months ago i was talking to josh barnett about doing something and my training was things felt off and you know a month later like my digestion's not good i'm sweating a lot and i you know found out that you know appendicitis and diverticulosis I got that surgery. So I'm glad I didn't take it because, you know, having that during fight camp and you got to pull out, it's not, uh, yeah. you know, it just, it was, it's honestly, it's just been like, it was just been bad luck, but you know, I'd never given up on it. And it's something that um, it's either in my blood or DNA from, from stew that has been passed on to me. And, and uh, I really love to, to, to teach it also, you know, I, th I feel like I'm a good, um, and I, and I enjoy teaching. Some people are great athletes, but they're they're not. They they're can't. Teachers, they, yeah, yeah they, they're not able to convey yeah. that. So it's been it's been a teacher, and uh, you're right. I mean, I, I've I've run across great amateur wrestlers, and they're just natural at it. But you get them in a in a coaching situation. Hey, come in and do a clinic for me. You know, they yeah. can't they can't coach worth a darn because it's all instinct for them. Unless yeah. they're actually doing it and a reaction and all that, they they don't have a clue how to how to relate what they're doing with other people. I always thought yeah. it was like asking Arnold Schwarzenegger how to train arms. He yeah. has no idea. He had peaks yeah. when he was 13 years old. You know, ask yeah. him how he trained calves because his calves weren't any good. You know, it's genetic, genetic, genetic. <laughs> sometimes guys uh, that are really good at things are not good teachers because they don't really know the game. They, they're just great at what they do. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, an example of that is um, – and I don't mean this as any disrespect at all towards him, but he, Ted DiBiase, actually senior, he admitted to that. And he said, you know, guys, I, I could go and uh, work 20 minutes in front of, you know, 
just the cold audience and have them on, you know, standing up and wanting to kill me. And, you know, he said, I could work 15 for an hour with this guy. And he goes, I'm not able to convey that as an agent to tell these guys what they need to do. And it was like, basically what Ted DiBiase can do in the ring. He's, he admits, he said, I can't, I'm not able to explain that to somebody and be an agent. You know, I can tell him, okay, we'll go. Yeah. Yeah. 10 minutes, but I, he goes, I can't, I'm not able to convey that to, to them. It's what, what yeah. Yeah. That, that's such a difficult job, you know, to, to try to try to translate, uh, you know, what, what you're doing to another guy whose style is completely different. What yours is. And you got to be able to adjust to, to every different style. You know, you being a big, tall guy, you know, me being an average size, I couldn't relate, you know, what, what, what's a big, tall guy like that do you know? I know, I know what I would do, but that doesn't relate to what you could do or anything. But it, it's a difficult coaching. It's very difficult. I have so much respect for those guys that 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 are stars you know, at a field, and then come into the coaching field and become great coaches. And uh, when you were training, did you trade out Dave Batista's gym there in Tampa, right? For a while. Oh yeah, I trained with him uh, uh, quite a bit, and then we, you, you know, and again, like I was saying, I was actually. Um, I was trained with him a lot of the time and I had been contacted to, to do a fight that same night with him. Mm-hmm. And I had the new Japan offer to start going to uh, new Japan pro wrestling again. This was a little while after I left WWE. So I thought, I thought to myself as a business wise from what I do as my career and how I make money, I thought, okay, if I, if I say no to new Japan right now and they have this opportunity, opportunity for me to team up with Lance Archer and they basically said we had this idea for you two big guys to be like Hanson and Brody type you know monster guy jeans we want to give you the tag titles and you'll have full-time work or I say no and I try this and who knows the guy might give me a lucky left hook and I get knocked out in a minute so I went with the New Japan deal but was flying over for my first tour I landed and I was checking my phone because it was the same night Dave's fight. And I was wondering on the plane, like trying to get the Wi-Fi to go work and see what the result was. And then I saw that he won. So I was really happy for him because I, I, um, I helped him out quite a bit for that fight, you know, and, um, I, and I'm glad I, I got the opportunity to, and Stefan Bonner, he was there, God rest his soul. He was, he was there as a training partner and, um, you know, good on dave for doing it you know he was yeah, in his sport good on him. yeah 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 you know and and he was um uh he had a he had a good uh, kickboxing background but he didn't know anything about too much about wrestling but he was he was getting good at jujitsu but i was like well you know you're gonna have to learn how to sprawl and wrestle so when i was first learning the the striking aspect he didn't want me to take him down so he would tag me and stuff i go okay so, uh, so when it was time for him to learn how to wrestle or get, and I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I, I threw Dave around the gym, like a rag doll. I'm not, but he'll tell you. And he got up and he go, fuck, fuck. And he was, and there was another guy there named Eric Albarassin. He's a little wrestler guy. He I know where, with. I know where Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Have, yeah. Yeah, he, he what uh, what uh, the, the little Mexican guy that uh, from 
from California won the Olympics. Uh, he was training with him. Yeah. So I and I uh, was yeah, training. Yeah. Henry uh, Cujo. Yeah. So I was training with Billy quite a bit then. So I was getting really good with some of the upper body Greco throws. And I mean, he was just watching like wide eyed. And then he goes, holy shit. He goes, I never seen a guy do a flying Camaro on Dave Batista. He goes, that was bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was. Yeah, but like you say, man, you gotta respect the hell out of Dave. Just like with what Phil, what's punk. I mean, you know, get it. I, I, I'm a good friend with uh, uh, Ben Asprin, and Ben helped train uh, uh, Phil for a while. He said, "I've never seen anybody work so hard and want and want something so hard, and you know, and and not be able to obtain as as, as, as Phil did." He said, "But I give him a lot of respect for even trying to do that." Yeah, 100%. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, it was what, what I was most proud of for it was, you know, Dave, he basically won with um, with a lot of the like just basic wrestling. You know, we, we worked on him because we knew that he wasn't ever going to be a, uh, he's never going to be taking shots like Kurt Angle or, you know, shooting in. But if he can learn how to sprawl well enough and use his body weight right. to keep it and, and use that weight to start to. His work to his advantage because I said the worst thing that'll happen with Dave is he gets taken down. The guy passes his guard, even if he doesn't submit him, he's stuck on his back for the round. In the judge's eyes, they go, Well, the other guy's trying to win. He gets taken down because he's got no defense. So I was um I was really proud of him that he was he was able to stuff the guy's, you know, take down attempt, use his weight, and just do what he did. Cause because Dave's a, he's a strong, powerful guy. Like oh, when yeah. he's yeah, and his, his truck, his core shrink that truck there, man. Oh, yeah. He, you know, what power, what power truck he has. He oh, did he, a great he job. Certainly does. So I just said, you know, if he's able to use that in the right way, which he did, and I was I was really glad to uh, to see him win. And we, man, we had some great times training. But Dave's just, he's a super nice guy, give you the shirt off his back type of type of guy. And just, you know, um, I I loved I love Jack Swagger's uh, MMA run. I thought it was I thought it was so good. He'd come out, he'd do the wrestling entrance to me, the people, and he got so much legit heat from MMA people. I, I was just I, every time I'd watch it, I go, this guy's got it figured out. It was so good. I I wish he'd continue to do it. Plus, yeah, I love yeah. Jack. Plus, I love Jack, even, yeah. even though he spoke Oklahoma like Mr. Briscoe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great guy. Yeah. Well, you were you were part. Of, I was looking uh, online, and if it's if it's online, it, it obviously is true. Um, October fifth. I just I know I know the date because I just looked at it. Nineteen ninety six. We're in I think Calgary. Oh, yeah. And I was there. I I, I saw the whole yeah. thing. You were part of that match, weren't you? I was. Um, I got man. I got some funny stories about that. So, um, yeah. So set up what it was. You guys were the young heart children of different heart members and you were going to yeah. wrestle the match on the WWE card that night i guess at the start of the show or something like that right yeah yeah so so what happened was um a couple of years before that every summer when we'd come up to to visit to calgary uh me and uh, teddy hart my cousin and his younger brother matthew and, and tj we would train and we'd have like an exhibition match on the one of the shows that Stu and bruce were kind of putting on so um, in the summer of 96, you know, it really is just unfortunate, but Teddy's brother, Matt had passed away and, you know, it had happened in July and we knew WWF was, WWE was coming to Calgary in October. 
And I think it was Davey and Owen actually pitched to, to Vince and uh, they said, Hey, listen, you know, we know you guys are coming here. Um, do you think you would let Harry and TJ and, and Ted and one of their friends do a, like a quick five minute, you know, exhibition match. They've been doing pretty good at it. And he said, um, you know, he said, we'll make it optional, but anybody that wants to donate their pay um, to the, ch uh, to the children's hospital here for, all the, the work that they did for my cousin, Matt, prior to his, his passing and the, the look into um, uh, the flesh eating disease, you know, and, and everything like that. Um, you know, Davey Owen, I think Shawn Michaels actually gave his pay up that night towards it, which was very nice of him. So, yeah, so we were, so we had moved back in July and August of uh, 96. And then um, we had put together this match. And right around that time, I don't know if you were familiar, but Brett had had uh, his WWF ring in the, like that pool area. And WWF had sent like Ken Shamrock and Mark Henry to Calgary to train with Brett and a yep. guy named Leo Burke. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were training in uh, Brett's ring and kind of like, you know, getting used to what the WWF ring was. That was, it was stiff. <laughs> That old, it wasn't old. ever. Those rings were horrible. <laughs> you know, I heard the rumor that it was because of the Yokozuna or whoever it was on Saturday night's main event. The, it would bump and the ring would move. And they, they said, well, it looks bad for TV. So they made all the rings stiff enough where it wouldn't move for Yokozuna, which is fine if you're 600 pounds. But if you're 280, it kills you. Oh, Those yeah. Those rings were so stiff. People, people talk about that. We had these oh. easy rings. They were the stiffest rings oh. ever. Oh man, I, I was a 10 or 11 year old kid bumping in that. And I was, geez, man, the, I think the dungeon's better to bump in than this. Like it was hard, hard rings. And I was especially a skinny kid. You're not having that weight to. That's so, right. yeah. So we got contacted. And then, of course, because we're just doing the match, we didn't, we weren't, uh, we weren't on the payroll for it. But um, so we got contacted about it. And then we did the match. And it's so funny, like you know, just and how, how 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 old were you at that time, Perry? I was eleven. That's what I, that's what I did. <laughs> eleven <laughs> years old. Wow. And TJ, 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 TJ's the same age or what? No, he was uh, sixteen. Wow. And they were doing Jerry. They were. I don't know if you heard about. I was it. there. I was there. <laughs> the superplexes. They were. It was incredible. Oh yeah. It was, and you know, like, like everybody was, you know, backstage was, they thought it was like, oh, you know, it's like kind of cute. Davey's kids are going to do a little five minute match. And then it's like, Ted's giving TJ a superplex off the top and everyone's going, That's right. oh, okay, well, these guys, these kids are doing pretty good, but they're way, doing way too much. Like what the, you know, um, that's and, exactly what the conversation was. Yeah. Backstage. Going, yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. It was, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, it was so funny because when we came back from the match, like, uh, you know, we were getting the, wow, that was really good shit, kids. And uh, John, you probably remember um, uh, Barry Windham. He had just come in as the stalker at the time with the, the camouflage pants and the cutoff WWF shirt. And he was doing the superplexes as finished, but it was off the second. And... <laughs> And Ed, Ed did the superplex, both guys standing off the top rope to <laughs> TJ. That's right. As the, as the finish, and Barry goes, and Barry didn't, he kind of knew who we were, but he didn't know. And he was mad. Like he said to Ted, he goes, he goes, hey, uh, you did my finish. 
you know, the opening match, he goes, and Ted, not knowing anything, goes, well, actually, Barry, uh, it was a little different because we did ours off the top. You just do it off the second. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Barry, I saw his eyes get mad. And I I kind of, as a kid, I'm going, "Uh uh-oh, like I know. (laughs) And then uh, Owen, I think he came around the corner and he goes, and he's talking and then Owen goes, yeah, Barry, did you meet my uh, nephew, Ted, and nephew, Harry? He goes, oh, you're Owen's nephews. Oh, you, okay. Oh, yeah, I was just kidding with you, kid. And hey, that was a big man. He kind of like was pretending like he was joking afterwards. But, um, but, and then, you know, it's like being a young kid at 11 years old, you know, being uh, educated or prompted before the match by someone like Earl Hebner, who was a senior referee, you know, teaching me the, 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 the quotes and the terminology of when, what it means to go home. Uh, <laughs> got, you got, you got two minutes left and he, and he was and Earl was, um, he was, uh, he was, he was strict, man. Like he told us, like he knew that we had five minutes and he, he would told Ted, he goes, if you guys do not go home when I fucking tell you to go home, he goes, I will ring that bell and you guys will go home. Okay. And I was like, wow. They, they weren't like, oh, yeah, you know, you guys just, yeah, when we say go home, like Earl was like, and he told he told T- Ted and TJ, he goes, go home. And he goes, go home. He goes, you go home now. And Ted goes, okay. And then set him up <laughs> in the, the, the superplex. And, uh, but you know, you know, having that experience as an 11 year old kid. And, and you know, when he's first t- telling me go home, I'm going, what is it? Like, what? No, no. He goes, you know, he goes, go home means go into your finish. And I thought, oh, like I thought he was meaning like we're sending <laughs> you back. You get out of here. <laughs> yeah, like he explained it to me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, you know, we're doing the match and I see the guys from the curtain watching and peeking and <laughs> and all that. And uh, it was, yeah, <laughs> a crazy, um, yeah, experience. And, you know, Monday morning I was going to elementary school. Great. <laughs> <laughs> in the front of the newspaper pictures of it so it was uh yeah it was it was quite something did you spend much time in calgary growing up or were you uh where did you live growing up oh yeah so i i most of the time in calgary so we lived here in calgary till i was five in 91 and then uh when davy went back to wwf in 91 um we moved to florida and then in the 96 we moved back to calgary so during that time, every summer we would come up to Calgary for like a, the summer vacation and then, um, you know, and everything like that. But Owen and Brett, they always stayed in Calgary. And then after that, we, after Matt's passing, actually, unfortunately, we, we had moved back up here. And then um, that summer we went to uh, Vancouver for the international incident. I don't know if you worked on that one. I can't remember. It was It was a six man with. Davey, Vader, and uh, Owen versus Ahmed, Sean, and Sid, I think. I don't remember. We, I worked most of the Vancouver shows because we always worked Vancouver on a holiday. So it was the one of the rowdy, rowdiest crowds of the year was always Vancouver. We always had guys jumping in the ring and because they're, 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 the fans, were, yeah, fans, was, uh, fans uh, were feeling pretty good because it was, we always yeah, wrestled on holidays. Uh, yeah, one of the fans actually jumped in and the main event. So Davey and Ahmed jumped down to get him. And I think Earl went and covered the guy. And then they 
the security took him off. But I was going, man, if I was a fan and I saw Davey and Ahmed Johnson jumping down from okay. the ring. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was I was there because when they brought the guy back, Jack Lanza was so mad. He's sitting there smoking a cigarette, and Jack walked by him, and Jack kneed him right in the thigh as the guy was walking by and buckled him. <laughs> the guy goes oh. down. Jack acted like he did it on accident, but I saw the whole thing. He just kneed him in the thigh. The guy goes down with this thigh bruise. Yeah, yeah, that's that's too funny. Yeah, for sure. So, where were you? How, how were involved in the wrestling business? Were you then? I mean, obviously, your your father was on the road all the time. But were you when you're there with Stu and the whole Hart family? Were you going to the shows? Were you doing things for Stu? Were you doing things for the family? Oh yeah, I mean. um, you know, actually at that time, um, so we would, you know, Ross and Bruce, they were kind of starting Stampede Wrestling up a little bit again because, it, you know, it, it went out of business in 1990. And they would still have what was called the Rocky Ford Rodeo every summer in July. They'd have two shows in July. And then um, when I moved back, I had actually prompted my couple of my first amateur wrestling coaches. Uh, if they would teach me amateur wrestling we would help you know teach them i would help teach them professional wrestling and introduce them to bruce and ross and you know they were greg pollock and duke durango jordan clark and dean they were all good so um you know bruce had kind of started a little bit of a stampede circuit again but it was more shows like house shows like these uh these small town shows like in indian reservations and stuff so i would work with tj because i was in school and i was i was so young at the time I was more of a every Rocky Ford in the in the summertime for the the big shows like the Rocky Ford pay per view, <laughs> uh, and some um, some other matches. But you know it's funny like during that time I would do the long like uh, like the long car rides and stuff like that to some of these small towns like you know Brooks Alberta and Drumheller and and I would bring um, I bring a stack of Davies eight by ten pictures and some other like merchandise but i'd sell it as a kid there and then whatever money i would get like the next day i would walk up the hill to um they had just built the, the mall up in signal hill so i would go to the zellers and i would either buy like you know i'd be, try to like save up to buy the the red tab uh, the levi's jeans like you know you want the red tab not the orange tab so save up for that and then um I would get your, uh, <clears throat> I would get, do that. And then I would, I was big into collecting action figures. So I would, I would save up for stuff like that. You and still have buy, your action figures? Yeah. I, well, I, I still have them in uh, storage somewhere, but the, the, the bone crunchers in 97, uh, I remember Bradshaw's had like, it was like a little ponytail that was super glued. If you pulled it off, like it would, <laughs> like it kind of was, fun, but, uh, you know, those and, and um, like, I would always be like, oh man, you know, I want to make, uh, hopefully Bruce books another show out in Drumheller, you know, I made like, you know, uh, $42 at the, you know, <laughs> and then, cause, and then you go to like Galician, Alberta, which it could be a three hour, four hour drive and it's freezing cold. And these, these, most of the fans are Native Americans. They don't have money. They just come and look and, oh yeah, well. You know, I'm trying to sell them for a few dollars. Oops. And, um, you know, it was it was almost like, yeah, you know, 
I want to. I want to go to the. Uh, I want to be booked at MSG for the the big payoff. I want. <laughs> I want to make the dr- the drive out to Drumheller and, and yeah. you know, next time we're going to bring different promo pictures because I'll be able to sell more. So <laughs> I, I wanted to um, that, and then from that, uh, I would always watch the matches and learn um, and you know hear from my uncle Ross and Bruce critiquing the guys after with what they did wrong. Then through through that, I, I got to learn the you know the basic psychology of a match and and um, and terminology and and all that sort of stuff. So that that was how it started. And then in the summertime, um, I would be training more, like because I was I was out of school, and you know it's the summer, the the sun's out, so so uh, Stu would have his ring outside, and I'd be uh, wrestling in there, and then like. Uh, the summer of 97 when everybody i think you guys worked um the godwins in the first uh did calgary the canadian stampede yes i think that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um i remember prior to that they had the big gathering at the house and like the big party and everything like that and uh you know calgary the city of calgary was on fire that summer with everything with brett and the heart foundation and the feud of oh, steve yeah. So I was kind of. Um, it was such me- a unique time because Brett was such a hero in Canada, and oh, such yeah. a villain in the United States. It was just, it was, it was so cool because you go up to Canada. And, I mean, you couldn't get any hotter than than Brett and the Hart family up there. Yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, uh, TJ and I, we were kind of on on the duty that summer of uh, like a bunch of the house chores and cleaning up Stu's house. And doing, you know, the yard work. And I mean, Ross, me, Ross, uh, TJ, and Ross is one of his Korean Chinese roommates. Like we were out in the sun for like 10, 12 hours uh, raking leaves. And and I was going to myself like, man, you know, cleaning up the house here for the big party and the ring set up outside. I wonder like if maybe Ross will let me do like a five minute match with TJ in front of Stone you know, uh, the guys. But that that didn't end up happening because... Um, uh, I'm Jim Ross was there and a bunch of other guys, but Steve and some of the other guys didn't end up showing up, but there was, there was no matches going on in the ring. Was, hey, you know, Harry, Harry, you mentioned TJ's name several times. How did yeah. TJ come into the picture? Uh, is he, was he just a neighbor or a friend of somebody's? How did TJ get involved? Yeah. Uh, so, um, like I was saying in, in 1991, when we moved to, to Florida, so the January of 91 was the big Royal Rumble where uh, Hogan went over at the end. So that was that was Davies' very first like big pay-per-view kind of match uh, back with the with the company. And TJ was best friends with my cousin Ted. So at that time, I was five years old. I just started kindergarten up here. And Ted said, hey, do you want to come to uh this you know the british bulldogs house he's because davy was just kind of coming back onto the scene i don't think tj really knew who he was because he was he was doing japan and from 1988 on tj didn't he knew who hulk hogan was and stuff he goes oh he's this wrestler he's on wwf and tj's like really you know so he brought him over and then uh that was where i first met him and then he remained friends with ted and then he started staying over at uh ted's dad's house bj's gym and through all that, but that was the very first time I met him was uh, 
we all watched the the Royal Rumble '91 pay per view at my house, and then I think we had set up the two couches together, like to make like a ring, and we were trying to like, you know, as little kids like throw each other off, which was was funny. And then uh, through that, just uh, you know, whatever we rubbed off on TJ he became was part it, of the '92 in Wembley. Was that when it was when your when your baby boy wrestled Brett? Yeah, yeah. So Did, so we. Did you know at that time when you watched it? Because that's one of the greatest matches of all time. I mean, Davy Boy was oh, yeah. so good. You know, and Brett, everybody, you know, Davy Boy was, I don't know if he's underrated because he was a Hall of Famer, but it, it was so incredible. Did you know at that time when you're watching it that this was this incredible of a match? Special. <laughs> Special. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I I, I knew, uh, but, you know, like, being there live because the the our seats that we had we were in what was called the royals the royal seats where the queen actually sits to watch the games but it's all the way at the very top of the the arena so i could feel the the atmosphere and the electricity from the audience but i, I was trying to watch it on like the the screen above the ring and it was kind of, but I, I knew that the match was really hard hitting and everything but when i watched it afterwards on on film, I was able to see the the more details of it. And, you know, being a, a kid like that, I, I knew that it was a, a great match, but as, you know, I got older and matured, I got to understand more of of exactly why it, it was it was so uh it was so great. And you know, the whole atmosphere and and you know, I, I remember um a lot about that trip, you know, when I was on that trip, uh funny just how you remember things. So Shawn Michaels had worked uh, Rick Martel that night in like a countout, and somebody had Shawn had he had gotten a whole bunch of new wrestling gear made, and either somebody like either a kid or a young guy had stolen his gear backstage, or somebody ribbed him and stole the gear, and just didn't give it back. And I remember Davey was talking. He goes, "Oh yeah," he goes, "Fucking Shawn's hot. He, somebody stole his uh, new wrestling gear. He's got to wear you know his normal stuff and." You know, blah blah blah, and I was going, "Oh, really?" He goes, "Like, do you know who stole his gear?" He goes, "Oh, I don't know." And you don't, and to this day, nobody. I, was, nobody I wasn't even there. It was Owen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, I remember just walking around the that the arena. It was like it was like a twenty five minute walk to the uh, to the ring from to the, the where the locker rooms and everything were at, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was quite a yeah, what an event! Wow, did, really, did, really. How how were Owen and Dave? Because I got to tag with them for a lot of times, you know, starting out, and they they were just they were the most fun I've ever been around. Those two and Davey Boy, I wasn't even there. It was Owen. He blamed everything on Owen, whether Owen did it or not, or Davey even knew who did it. He would blame it on Owen. I remember one time in Phoenix, Davey res, uh, registered under a fake name in the hotel so that Owen couldn't find him. Because <laughs> I would have been riveted so much. How were they oh. at home? Were they anything? I mean, because they were just—they were the most twenty-four-seven entertainment channel I've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, John. I, I think uh, I, I swear I, I think that Owen and Davey are still around me sometimes because <laughs> there's there, there's some things that that happen to me. I'm going, man, this is got to be. <laughs> Uh, you know, actually, when I, when I was just in um, in emergency for my uh, appendix issue, 
you know, I was hunched over there in, in emergency, like waiting and waiting and waiting. And I see this guy come in and he's in a wheelchair and he's got, uh, he's got an eye patch on and he's got the oxygen tanks and he's got those two, um, like the floater things like that you wear as a little kid when you're swimming in the pool so you don't sink. And he comes rolling in there and they say, well, what's wrong with you, sir? And he goes, uh, well, my leg's numb. Okay, well, what medications are you on? This, this, this. Okay, you're on this for hypertension. Well, that could be your circulation while your leg's numb. And then they go, well, sir, do you, would you like any water or anything? He goes, no, water's too good for me. <laughs> and I'm just going, man, I, this has got to be ordered, Davey. Like, <laughs> typical like that that they would send it and this guy's probably going to be seen before me because he's got all the and uh like that I, do, do you remember that ronnie gaff guy yeah he was from toronto oh yeah. he was uh he was he was such an idiot but um it was actually it was after owen had passed away ronnie had come up to uh to calgary to visit and Davey just, you know, he he couldn't stand Ronnie, right? So we we go up the hill to uh, to Seven Eleven, and my mom TJ and I were in the car and we're waiting for Ronnie and Davey to come out. And my mom goes, "Actually, we should just leave these two to walk with each other back to to, to Stu's." So my mom pulls out and then she just does a U-turn, speeds, and you can see Davey looking at goes, uh, and then. Uh, we see them like we're driving really slow and around the corner. We see these two, Davey and Ronnie Gaff, just walking down the big long hill. Cause it's like about a 20 minute walk by with each other. And then uh, my mom said something to Dave and she goes, Oh, did you enjoy that walk? He goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice fucking rib or whatever. But you know, <laughs> uh, there's uh, I, I'm sure you've heard this story. I wasn't there when it happened, but I was there for so much with Owen and Davey. But, I was there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When when uh, Le he, he's in there with Lex Luger and he goes, Lex, press me, and Lex yeah. goes to press him, and 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 Owen is like a spider monkey. He won't let him press oh, him. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then, then, he, then, then he has Davy come in. He goes, Davy, press me, and he goes right up for Davy, and, and Owen's yelling to the crowd, Davy's the strongest person in WWE. Yeah, and Davy said he was pressing him and. Went over and, and slammed him, and he looks right over at Lex, and Lex just puts his head down. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, um, uh, I think it was the summer of 1998. We went to we went to Benidorm, Spain, for a family vacation, and um, the owner of the hotel he was being a real a real jerk about things, but he wouldn't let Davy pay for the hotel on a credit card. It had to be cash. And this and that. And he had done something. Um, I think he had said something to Davy's sister that he, she was she was terminally ill with cancer. But he said something to make him mad. And, and TJ and I being little, you know, bad kids, every time we go up on the elevator, we press all the buttons. <laughs> so it happened. And the, and the guy, he got super mad at us a couple times. And then Davy got mad at us. And then he got really mad at the guy. But he did... He did something to make Davey mad, and before we left, because no, there's no credit card on the hotel, so there's no for incidentals. But like he was, he this guy was a real jerk. But it was like Davey had set up uh, something like 
similar to the home alone setup that uh, Kevin McAllister had like with, with all kinds of pranks. And, <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I'm going like, just thinking to myself, like, Davey, where did you learn how to do this stuff? Like, he would he unscrewed the 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 light bulb to the top of the the light, and then he put ketchup in it. So when you turned the light on, it exploded as ketchup. <laughs> and he he uh, he put of water. Like where, where did he learn to do all that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then and then when we left, because they weren't the electronic keys that you have now, where you press it and then it opens, but it was like with a key holder with a, with a and. I saw him grab a whole bunch of toothpicks and he broke <laughs> the toothpicks that he stuffed them all in. So it was nearly, and then I think he took some chewing gum and shoved it in there. So when it dried, it's almost nearly impossible to, uh, to open, but he, he had, uh, he had clogged up one of the sinks and just left the water running and he did, <laughs> unplugged a bunch of stuff. And then he goes, okay, well, let's go. And I, I don't know how they ever got in there, but I'm going, wait, booby trap. That room was, it, it was like, uh, it, it was, it was quite, uh, it was interesting. It was quite intelligent too. I was and you're, 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 you're a kid and you're thinking, this is my dad, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going, man, well, this is good food for thought for, uh, if I got to do to somebody's room or something sometime, but man, he, he got the guy back good. Like he was, uh, <laughs> funny but yeah uh, him and owen both um incredibly great sense of humor you know oh, they were Too so funny and no one ever got mad at them i mean it's no. amazing they pulled so many ribs and no one ever goes oh that's just owen that's just davy they, yeah. they yeah. thought it's funny because they, they liked them so much yeah. on, on, on uh, we were in africa we went on one of those uh camera safaris and my camera got jammed and Owen, and I'm, I'm a dumbass for trusting him. He said, here, I'll fix it for you, Gerald. And so I gave him my camera. He he double somehow he double printed every one of my, 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 he was stuffing. And he gave me back the picture. I couldn't wait to get home because everybody, you know, we're on this safari. I went, took my pictures in your back end of what, you know, you had those little capsules. Took them in to have them develop, come back. Every one of them doubled exposed. The guy looked at me, he said, I, I, I got to charge you. I, said, I don't want to charge you because only about four of your 200 pictures turned out. <laughs> I, I went and then all of a sudden it hit. I gave Owen Hart my camera. You know, you, you know that's something to get mad about. But, you know, it was so funny. that And I loved I, Owen so much, I couldn't get mad at him. You couldn't get mad because it was Owen. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, it was oh, Owen. <laughs> You're like really yeah. mad. They go, who did it, Owen? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they were, uh, Owen especially was really good with the impersonations, too. Yeah. The impersonations, he would call some people up and, and uh, rib them. And, you know, I, I heard about stories that he, he'd be pretending to be the hotel front desk manager and calling up to Mr. Hughes's room and some of these guys and going, you know, we we understand you've been stealing our hotel towels and this, that. And, and they're going, you know, they're going, how did he this have done it? He should have done it Tony Guerrero and it would have been true. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I heard one about an Owen call. I think he's called the Hacksaw Jim Duggan's room. And he was going, Well, you so yeah, is this Jim Duggan? And yeah, and yeah, so you're one of those, uh, so you're stealing something. Oh, no, I never did. He goes, Oh, yeah, you're one of those fake phony wrestlers, huh? Why don't you come downstairs and 
you know, I want to, and, <laughs> and Jim showed up and he stormed downstairs. And I think Owen met him in the lobby. He goes, no, Jim, Jim, Jim. <laughs> oh, no. And then he told him it was, uh, oh, too super, super, super funny. But, you know, it's like um, sometimes when you're, especially in those days, traveling so much, it's uh, a good outlet to have, you know, to have that sense of humor and laugh and, and, um, well, it is because you know we didn't we didn't have we didn't have anything else we didn't have cell phones we didn't have you know social yeah. media and stuff so we had nothing really to entertain us so fortunately and we, we had Owen Hart we had Owen and Davy <laughs> yeah oh that's too funny I tagged yeah. with them like for three or four straight months and a six man's going around the loops you know a couple times and I'm just every night I'm like <laughs> I've got my eyes everywhere going I know they're going to get me I know they're going to get me they're going to get me eventually they're going to get me yeah. I, you know, it's funny, like, uh, I think it was Rick Steiner had come to, um, it was when him and Scott came to WWF in 93. And he had, he had seen Owen in like the Japanese magazines and knew his name and from New Japan. And he goes, man, I heard that this guy's really great. And he watches them the first house show or whatever. And he's watching behind the curtain and Owen's doing the goofy stuff, like where he gets to tackle and he bumps as slow as he can. And, uh, yeah. you know, doing yeah. really, really cheesy corny uh you know back rake and uh and he's watching he's going man this guy's the shit and he sees <laughs> in the back and he just starts laughing and he's talking to uh whoever and he, he saw that it was a rib of what they were doing but he's like he's like man i was watching him and he's like he's going what, what this is a, this guy's the shit what did they talk with what's the big yeah about yeah if owen felt like screwing around he didn't care if it was madison square garden wrestlemania or poughkeepsie yeah. it, it made yeah. no difference he was gonna have fun and it would oh absolutely yeah that that was uh yeah he was he was super funny he Britain. loved calling out Davy's spots that Davy would try to whisper in the ring he would turn, oh, yeah. he turn the crowd he goes he's going to do a tackle then he's going to drop down he's going to do a hip toss and then when he'd do it he goes i told you <laughs> <laughs> too funny yeah that was that's yeah that's it <laughs> so after once after you got who trained you initially when you first trained? Was it, did Davey have any part of your training, or did, I know Johnny Smith? I think had part of your training. Is that right? Yeah. Well, so how it was? Well, because you would probably remember John. Those the the old WWF schedule was was oh, super. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, so Dave he wasn't home that he wasn't actually home that much. So when he did when he did come home, he didn't. You know, it was a lot of recovery and he didn't want to, uh, he didn't really want to be taking bumps when he would, but he would, he would come and, and show me stuff in the ring. But you know who it was, was, um, was Ross and Bruce at first. And then Davey and um, after I graduated high school was with uh, Tokyo Joe. Uh, you, you'd met him in Germany over sure. there yeah. when he, yeah, he was training well. the Japanese. And then uh, I got to work with Johnny Smith just one time, a little bit, and then. Um, but he was he was kind of he was pretty much the guy that taught me was was Tokyo Joe, you know. So he and and with him he was kind of learning everything his his way. Where where did you Joe know? train you at? Was it where, oh, Calgary? In Calgary. Yeah. So um, yeah. So so Joe, he had kind of come around uh, about. 2001 or so 2002 and then he trained tj and uh we would train at bj's gym at ted's dad's gym he had a ring there so uh and then joe was the first guy to send me to japan but uh i mean joe's training was 
it was it was the hardest training I've ever done. I mean, that guy was that guy he was, was legendary. I don't mean to interrupt, I'm sorry to interrupt, but oh, he was legendary oh. for how he trained guys. I mean, it was, yeah. it was tough. Yeah, he was um he, he was a good friend of Billy Robinson's too. So he was under that same schooling and tutelage of he was very intelligent as far as teaching you techniques go that he could understand, like he could say, Hey Joe, how would I do this? You know, this kind of a German suplex. He might not know what you're talking about, but he would he would know um the basics of it. And I mean, he was he was a hard dude, man. I mean, when you come from Japan and that sumo background and when he came to Calgary, yeah. uh, you know, uh, there, he's trying to fix a, a flat tire in the middle of winter and another car comes and it slides on ice and takes your leg completely off. And you never go back to Japan after that ever again, because you feel you've lost face to your, your family over there and you, you're over here to train people. I mean, he was, he was mean. He was really mean. Like he, uh, he almost, he almost had us in tears a couple of times. Like when he would really get on you about training yeah. and, uh, you know, um, but he, but he was, it was his way of wanting to make you better, you know, and in the weird Japanese strict way. And I mean, uh, if I wasn't going to do the work with him, he was no way he was going to send me to Japan basically. So when I, when I did finally go to Japan to train in the dojo there, the dojo system Nowadays is a really easy compared to what it was. And when I went in 2005, it was pretty hard still. But but Joe would also, he had been teaching me um, uh, some submissions. So I was a really good amateur wrestler and I knew some submissions. So when I went to the dojo and asked me to spar, I was I beat everybody, all the students anyway. So I was only 19 at the time. So his training, man, he... It was early in the morning for about four or five hours. You couldn't eat before because you would, you'd actually throw up. And I remember one time he had TJ and I. Um, I think it was when I came back from my broken hand here, and it was my first. Training. You had four yeah. or five hours straight training. Oh yeah, yeah, every day for uh, Monday to Friday, and then um, uh, when I when I recovered from breaking my hand, which was three months. TJ was wrestling in England and then, you know, the wrestling style in England is a little different now. It's more, it, it, it's not like you're doing the, the 10 rounds and all that. It was more for kids and Brian Dixon wanted to the entertainment style. So when he came back to Calgary, Joe said, Hey, you know, you guys just rest, just do conditioning first because we're not going to wrestle in the ring. And TJ and I looked at each other like, yeah, watch Joe's is going to, that's what he says exactly every time. And then we go to the ring. And Joe made us wrestle. I'm not kidding you, John, for two and a half hours straight, no breaks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Straight. And he, we, we would do our sequence and we got pretty good. Cause we, I mean, we wrestled with each other since we were kids, we do our finish and then he go, okay. Yeah. Five minutes more. Hey, I didn't say. Stop. And then, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, running out of stuff to do. So I'm just like randomly working TJ's leg and then, he starts working on me. He goes, Hey, why you, what, what, your leg just, you know, he was just trying to teach us psychology and, you know, why are you now running your leg? You, you selling two minutes ago. Well, hey, that's why you stupid boy. Hey, maybe that's why I'm going, Oh, and then Joe was getting honest too. Hey, you already do this move uh, six times. That's why, you know, technique. That's why you do uh, show pie, you know, you say, well, I've been out here two hours. Yeah. yeah. And, um, 
by the time the training was done, I went home and uh, it was like I had a headache, like, yeah, because it was that long. And I went to sleep and I was out for six hours, just out. And TJ was like, you know, he had to drive Joe home after and everything. And it was during that day of the, the first day back that he made us do two and a half hours straight. Wow. Yeah. And uh, he's hard, hard dude, man. He, um, yeah. but he, man, he built a, a, his foundation was, it was, uh, it was priceless what he would, what he would teach you and, and everything like that. But, but he was, um, he had a way of, of rubbing people the wrong way because of the, he was a little like Carl Gotch too, where he wasn't super friendly with people. And, you know, if he was out ordering something, if he didn't like it, he, we would just leave and he would, you know, that was the way Joe was. He just, you know, he would, he would, it was either black or white with him and he would tell you how it was. If he didn't like it, he would, he would just, there was no, uh, his way or the highway pretty much, but just hard, super hard. Dude. You know, I, not that I'm advocating yeah. that type of training, but I saw, I saw the, you know, when we broke in, it was different as well, you know, and the, the, the Japanese style was almost subhuman, like what you went through. And, but once yeah. you make it through that, you're fine. I mean, literally mentally, you're like, yeah. there's really nothing that's going to happen to me that I can't get through. I, I've been through, you know, tough is tough. Once oh, you, yeah. realize, you know, once you realize you're okay, you, you're, you're fine from that point going forward the rest of your life. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it just, it just kind of showed you that, you know, if you got the right attitude and mindset, you can pretty much get through anything, you know, and his, his training, like it brought you to those breaking points of, uh, and Joe was, um, he, there was no, uh, there was no shortcuts with that guy, man. He, he really, he made you do the work. That was as simple as it was, you know, and he, and uh, that's, uh, that's, that's how it was, you know, he, that's why a lot of the Japanese guys got sent here. And um, yeah, he was a hard dude, but he just, he just instilled those different uh, philosophies. And you know what, one thing that Joe made us do all the time was just work wrestle on the fly just just go wrestle on the fly and and at first because you know we would like yeah you know being the young kids and choreographing some high spots and stuff and he would say hey you know you need to learn how to, to wrestle more smoothly he'd say smooth 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 you know natural like a enoki you know those those you know coming the muscle coming second nature those those no don't thinking you know just do go and I went, wow, you know, and, and through that, um, uh, you know, being able to wrestle on the fly and, and call things, you know, uh, like that is, is really was it was a real big thing that was um, was great that he instilled with me. And, and uh, he was he was, yeah, very grateful. I, I had him as a coach, super, you know, super strict. And I hated it at the time. I really did. <laughs> and but it was it was great experience. So yeah. now you're recovering from the surgery. Uh, you've got the diverticular lotus that uh, you're taking care of through medication. What do you got next? You're still young, still in good yeah. shape. What, 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 is, what are you doing now? What are you doing next? Well, um, I'm actually returning to Japan New Year's Eve, but I, I'm not able to say what it is because um, they're processing my visa and they didn't announce it. So I, I don't want to say you know, spoil it. But then also, you know, if there's something that happens that comes up that I'm not able, but it, that's what it is. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, you know, the Japanese culture has always been 
instilled with me from the training with Tokyo Joe and, uh, you know, my dad's first, uh, you know, 84, 85 was first trips to Japan. <clears throat> so I've always had a profound love for Japanese culture. And through my recovery, I've been, um, like I was telling you earlier, learning how to read and write Japanese kanji, which is um, really hard, <laughs> really, really hard. Uh, it's nearly impossible. Even some Japanese don't know all of it. That's mixed with the Japanese, with the Chinese alphabet. So, um, you know, through this uh, time that I've had off, I've been able to um, kind of hit the reset button on my body and, and learned uh, a lot of things. I think a lot of really important things about health and about life. And, you know, even though this happened to me, I'm going to have the positive attitude that I'm going to come out of this a lot better from this experience. And one of the things is just being a lot more health conscious with what what I'm putting in my in my mouth as far as food and and like I was telling you earlier I don't like to refer to it as a diet anymore I just refer to it as resources so um with that um learning and uh being able to try to help heal my body with crystals as well and um with gems and stones and uh, neo-paganism and uh you know a lot of stuff like shungite which is helps oops um, deflect uh, EMF and EMR and, and different radiation. So, and, you know, adding shungite to my water, adding more hydrogen to my to my water for more, which hydrogen is life based. And uh, learning about uh, the pyramids, uh, I have my pyramid over here, my action figure, and uh, just you know, sometimes when you're able to take a step away from what you know what's happened in your life with this that unfortunately it did happen but all I can look at it is like now my body's going to be able to digest food and absorb the nutrients and resources better and uh, how the pyramids were built you know everything starts from step one and how you do uh, one thing is how you do everything and basically you know you know, the importance of gold and um, people don't know, they just know gold is being the most valuable asset that we can have, but why is it the most valuable? So I like to think of myself as if I wanna be a metal, I would like to be gold because I'm the most malleable. Um, I'm not gonna oxidate under stress with water, with, each, with the, the environment like copper does. And that's why everything's gold plated. And you want something that's going to last forever. So, you know, if you're a wrestler, you want to be like a Ric Flair that's going to have that longevity. It's going to be able to work with everybody. Um, and it's going to be able to consistently be on that basis of, you know, so I, I've, I've actually been researching and studying a lot of stuff about how the ancient pyramids of, of Giza were um, uh, power plants to develop gold. And the Egyptians were able to use gold on their body um, with Ormus, which is like I was saying, it's almost nearly impossible to oxidate gold. So you get the, the powder from it, almost like you would get rust from copper. So you would use that to be a bit better conductor to the gods. And uh, it has a lot of healing abilities too. I don't know if you look up something called monoatomic gold, Ormus, but it's almost the same as colloidal silver. So I've I've been getting into that and I'm actually learning how to make uh, my own Ormus as well through my 
you know, time off away from the ring. And, um, you know, I, I've got uh, the way that I've looked at, you know, with with my submission wrestling and with my professional wrestling, I really do believe that when I come back from this, I'll be a better uh, performer and a better, you know, just overall, when you when you start to uh, do even the little things in your life to better yourself, it all means so much more in the in the big picture of of things. And um, you know, it's it's all from you know step one, and and um, you know I've been able to learn about that, and it's like uh, like Carl Gotch used to always say, it, it, you know, everybody knows the price, but nobody knows the value, right. and it's it, and it's always going to be quality over quantity and what what you're doing you you know what you want to achieve is excellence and that's with everything that you do and uh so i'm definitely looking forward to um to my return to japan and like i said i've been i've been training hard and and just learning about the body and you know there's ways that uh you know you can use a sauna for an extended amount of time and there's resources that you give your body that you don't uh, you don't need to feel tired or fatigued, you know, because you know sometimes you go in the sauna and you feel really tired after. But it all has to do with the muscles, what the resources need, and it needs stuff like DMSO, magnesium chloride that's going to neutralize calcium through your skin, which isn't going to make your muscles so tense. So you're preserving energy, but all that stuff that you're sweating out, that's taking out of your muscles, but you got to re. Um, rehydrate them with with what the body needs basically so i i just learned uh a lot of and i've been doing a lot of breathing courses too so i, I you know being able to to breathe and, and the way that we breathe better our posture is naturally better and that's you know that's a huge thing and whenever our posture has been compromised from when we're training like we're having to sway or, or cheat and you know it, it's like i don't know if you've ever like have you ever seen Vince McMahon when he's walking? He's just like, you know, his posture is always there because everything that he's doing is with, you know, is with excellence. But it's that's his posture is just to show that your posture. One of the things with training is to to maintain that posture. And so we get older, we we slouch. So it's just a lot of little things like that that when you add them up, they they mean bigger things. And um, I've gotten to learn. A lot of that, and it's it's all from the beginning, and what you know, like even the pyramids of Egypt, they're covered with gold, even the top, and they've been surviving for thousands of years. So, in order for us to maintain that excellence and everything, you know, you want to have a good conductor and be be like gold, but think in ways of how to augment or better your life. Um, and you know, uh, the long way is always the best way, you know. So. I feel like I'm going to come back and and uh, and really um, really shine after this. And although it did happen, man, man it, it it sucked so bad. I, I can't. It was a 12 out of 10 in the pain and, and everything. And but when you have that long time to think and just kind of look under life under a different camera lens, and I like to think that the good Lord is with me and it's giving me another opportunity to come do some really great things and he's wanting me to um, just tweak and change some things about my life to when I come back to be better. So unfortunately this happened, but I got to look as a, as a positive thing and I'm going to come back and be better from it. So 
Um, so, you know, and I want to thank you guys for, for having me on the, this podcast to share some of that and uh, some great stories and great memories. We went down from memory, uh, memory lane and everything, but you know, if you guys want to ask anything else, but um, that's, that's pretty much about it. Harry, well, Harry, 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 ahead, Harry, Harry, thanks a lot, man. I, I just got to whether, whether it's back in the ring or coaching or teaching or whatever it is with, with your attitude and, and your sense of, of life, you'll, you'll be a, a total success at it. So we wish you nothing but oh. success there. Appreciate it. Please pass our regards along to your family, your mom and, and your sisters and, and the rest of your family and, and good luck to you, whatever it may be over in Japan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry. Yep.